Good morning, church. Let's continue our worship by the hearing and reading of God's word. Today's passage will be in Luke 1, 57 through 80. So Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke will be in Luke today. And if you have a pew Bible, if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, it'll be on page 856. So Luke 1, 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted, to, wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for, for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our way into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of God. Good morning, beloved. Good morning. We are continuing our series titled, The Weary World Rejoices. I don't know about you, but it always seems like this time of the year always brings weariness and rejoicing the weather changes fears of the virus become brand new to us your children seem to be fighting a little bit more than usual you start to get that feeling of a needed vacation new forms of loneliness appear and your plans keep changing and you find attitudes that don't. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they ain't seem to keep adding up, don't they? In the midst of so much weariness as Christians, we still have 10,000 reasons to rejoice, don't we? Have you come in realizing that you live in both of those worlds of both weariness and rejoicing? We live in both of those columns at the same time. 
We know that this world is not in the place that God originally created it to be. Due to our rebellion against him, due to our own sin. This fact makes us weary, makes us sad. But at the very same time, we await a world where there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more pain. So we rejoice. Just like that young shepherd boy who was sent by his father to the most deadliest battlefield to bring his, his brothers some lunch. Kids, you guys know who I'm talking about? King David of Israel. And when he showed up to that battlefield, everyone was frozen with fear because of the enemy. This giant, this gigantic champion called Goliath. He would challenge God's people to a duel. He says, hey, send your best warrior out to face me. And winner takes all. Whichever champion survives, that army wins the whole battle. We know how the story ends, don't we? David, with the joy of the Lord, shows up with a slingshot, conquers the enemy, puts the enemy on his back. The whole Israelite army is rejoicing because of this great victory. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 80 is about a new champion that has come to save us from our enemies. Through today's text in Luke, we will rejoice in the tender mercies of God. Today's sermon is titled, Rejoice in the Tender Mercies of God. My prayer is that God will fill us with his joy and that Grace Baptist Church will be a people of joy, of rejoicing, because we have a God who has, who has shown us his tender mercies through the hand upon our lives and also showed us his tender mercies by providing for us such a salvation. Lesson one, rejoice in the tender mercies of God's hand upon your lives. Church, we have a God that works in ways that are beyond our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, whose plans are not our plans. We first encounter Elizabeth and Zechariah in chapter 1, verse 5. Zechariah was a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, she was one of the daughters of Aaron. They were both declared righteous in the sight of God. They both were advanced in age. Elizabeth was unable to have children. While Zechariah was serving as priest in the temple, burning incense and praying to the Lord, the angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, man. God has heard your prayer. His prayers have been heard, and his wife Elizabeth will have a child. And you shall call his name John. And Gabriel told him that he, that he will receive joy and gladness, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he be great before the Lord. Zechariah responded in unbelief. He says, how do I know this to be true? For I'm an old man, and the woman that's my wife, she's an old lady. And because of his disbelief, he was made silent. He was unable to speak. What the angel Gabriel said came true. 
Elizabeth conceived and she kept herself hidden. And, and she said that the Lord has found favor in her sight. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. As we pick up in verse 57, we see God extending his tender mercy to Elizabeth and Zechariah. That baby that was promised is now here. Notice that this baby, that the birth of this baby brings joy not only to Elizabeth, but also her relatives and her neighbors. Verse 58 says, and, the, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. What brought about this rejoicing? The Lord has shown great mercy. See, mercy in the Bible is usually paired for how God deals with his people. Mercy is not getting what we deserved. You see, let's not lose uh, sight of the fact that Elizabeth, she was unable to have a child. So her having this child is a very merciful act of God. You see, when you receive mercy from God, the most natural response is to rejoice. To rejoice in his kindness to us who are undeserving. Not only that, we learn that when God extends his mercy and kindness to us, the natural response is to invite others into our joy. Who are you inviting into your joy, into your sorrow? You see, being a member of a local church, it puts you into a place where you are, you are able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Are you close enough with the members of this church where they are experiencing your joy and experiencing your sorrows? Where they're actively rejoicing with you? Have you experienced God's hand upon your life? I'm sure you have. So why do you keep that to yourself? When we invite others into our lives to see the very hand of God, it brings God glory. It magnifies his name. We will soon find out from our text that this sort of fellowship is hard work. It takes the mercy of God to be patient and, and kind to one another, doesn't it? The rejoicing that Elizabeth was experiencing quickly turned into conflict. The neighbors and the relatives wanted to call the baby after their father, Zechariah. But his mother gave a stern no. He is to be called John. That name didn't make sense to the crowd because no one in that family was named by that name. No, this is a custom that you usually name a child after their relatives. So they said, let's see what the father has to say about this. So they, they made signs to him, trying to figure out what he wanted the child to be called. He, he signaled for something to write on a tablet, and he wrote that the, the, the name of this child is John. Because apparently he was unable to speak. He was also unable to hear. He signaled for something to write on. They couldn't hear him. He couldn't hear. So we see throughout those nine months of silence, something happened where he also couldn't hear. You see, we learn a couple things from this text. First, the obvious one is don't go around telling people what they should name their babies. <laughs> don't do that. That's, that's not okay. That's not cool. Secondly, I think we should listen to the women in our lives. This might sound like a silly application, but seriously, 
There are godly women in this church. Let's listen to them for direction, for wisdom. God cares about women and so should we. Listen to the godly sisters in this church. We even have godly women in our home, don't we? Husbands. Listen to your wives. Strive to get to know her better. Two questions I would like every husband to ask their wife this week. Number one, what has God been showing you or revealing to you about the direction of our family or our ministry? And number two, if there's one thing that I can do right now to bless you, to be helpful, what would that be? Women, keep speaking because we're listening. The third thing we learn from this encounter with Elizabeth and Zechariah is that we will be put in situations where people will tempt us to compromise what God is doing in our lives. What God is calling us to do, whether it's in our workplace or when we're in school, there will be people around us telling us what they think we should do. Seeking to very contradict the very hand of God in our lives. Is there an area of your life where the opinions of people are big while God's opinion is small? Will you choose today to remove your hand upon your life and let God's hand direct your paths, direct your heart and your mind and your steps? If not, God has a way of humbling us, don't he? I don't want you guys to miss how he worked in Zechariah's heart during these nine months of his silence. He quickly went from disbelief to belief. See, what happened in the silence? See, God's tender, merciful hand was upon his heart, his mind, and his steps. God has a way of using our silence to conform his plans into ours, to pour our plans into his. You see, I don't know what you guys are going through right now. I don't know what type of darkness or silence that you guys are experiencing, but I do know one thing, that there's a God who is at work in you and through you to make you more like Jesus Christ. When God feels like he's not there, trust that he's there. He's at work. Maybe you're in the season of waiting. Maybe you're waiting for that new job. You're waiting for, um, waiting for a child. You're waiting to get pregnant. Waiting to be healed. Waiting for your husband to step up. Step up. Waiting to find that special someone. Maybe you're just waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. The truth is we're all waiting in some sort of silence for something or someone. Let me tell you, even in the quiet, you can rejoice that the merciful hand of God is at work. God is showing us that all we need is him. All of our desires, all of our longings is ultimately pointing us towards him. Do you want to know him in this silence? Do you want to experience him? I hope that you do. We can soon find out that Zechariah did. It almost seems like Zechariah was just meditating on the Old Testament through all these prophecies that he's going to tell us. How is God conditioning your heart for more of him? As soon as John wrote on the tablet, his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke. The first thing that Zechariah did when his mouth was unlocked was he blessed the Lord. He praised God. You see, I don't think the response of blessing God came because he was able to speak again. 
I think it was because he experienced the very tender mercy of God's hand upon his heart. You see, those nine months of silence for Zechariah, it brought about this repentance and faith. It brought transformation. It brought confirmation that God is good. Church, it's in the, weir- it's in the weariness, it's in the silence that God disciplines his children in order for us to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. To come out looking more like Jesus Christ. To come out rejoicing so that our rejoicing can be contagious. So that when people experience us, encounter us, they will rejoice in our Heavenly Father. So that others can see our joy and to praise him. Take a look at verse 65. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Verse 66. And all who heard them, they laid them up in their hearts saying, what then would this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Is God's goodness and mercy laid up in your heart this morning? It was for the people in our text. They asked, what then would this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him. Let's continue to rejoice if you look at Zacharias' prophecy in verses 67 through 80. Point two, rejoice in the tender mercies of God and providing our salvation. What I want you guys to notice is that Nine months earlier, Zechariah couldn't believe his wife could have a child. He didn't believe in the words Gabriel, God's messenger, said to him. But now, being filled with the Spirit, he had his own message. And he sings about how God mercifully provides our salvation. He rejoices. Take a look at 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I want you guys to be able to grasp this statement and what it would have meant for those Jews of that day. The Jews have not heard from God for over 400 years. They experienced their own sort of silence. In their minds, God has forgotten about his people. He's turned his back away from them. He abandoned his people. Zechariah is declaring that just like his mouth, God is no longer silent. He is bursting forth to rescue his people. Just like the song we just sang. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive their king. You see, if you weren't already filled with the joy of the Lord, Zechariah is telling us, hey guys, there is a salvation that you need to know about. That God has come, he has visited, and he has redeemed his people. This is what Christmas is all about. God becoming one of us. We have a king who stepped down from heaven to become one of us, to sympathize with us in our weakness, to teach us, to rescue and redeem us. See, Jesus came to visit us to feel what we feel. When Jesus was on earth, he felt our weariness. The same weariness that you you brought in here, guess who understands what you're going through? Jesus. He wants that. Even today, Jesus is still human, and he's feeling what you're feeling, Christian. There is nothing that anyone here is going through or will go through that Jesus hasn't already experienced. 
And he is able and willing to sympathize with you, to encourage you. Rejoice. Rejoice in your sympathizing high priest, whom we can draw near to with boldness and assurance. See, Jesus had to become like us in order to redeem us. Jesus became a curse without actually sinning. He became a curse in our place on the cross. He paid the price to set us free from our sin, set us free from the penalty of sin. And just like Zachariah's mouth, the prison doors are open for us so we can walk in this new freedom, this new freedom of just knowing God and experiencing God in our everyday walk. That's worth rejoicing. Take a look at verse 69. He has raised up on horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is the only place in Scripture where Jesus is described as a horn of salvation. You see, the word horn was very common in the Old Testament. It's either used to describe a musical instrument or a weapon of an animal. Zechariah is declaring that God has raised up this warrior, a savior, a mighty warrior from the house of David, in verse 71, that will save us from our enemies, from the hand of those who hate us. Picture a wild ox, ox, putting its enemies on its back, putting it to shame. Listen to what God says in to his people in Psalms 132, 17 through 18. He says, there I will make a horn to sprout from David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. David says this in Psalm 18. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David says God is his defense, his shield, and he's his offense, his horn of salvation. This text gives us the imagery of bull running. I know most of us are not from Texas, right? You guys didn't spend your weekend watching people run away from bulls. But you guys understand the, the picture here, right? It's a, it's a silly sport where people are running away from bulls. It, it's, it's, it's very hard to watch, isn't it? You have these two big horns that are, that are trying to dig themselves into you, to flip you, to hurt you. I don't know. It's quite silly. I, I wouldn't, it's, very, it's a very hard sight to watch, right? But that's the imagery we have here. Jesus is our horn of salvation. He is our warrior. He's going to take care of our enemies. Zechariah is thinking of a Messiah who will come and put his enemies on their back. Like King David to Goliath. Zechariah most likely was talking about Rome in his day. Zechariah was most likely looking for um, liberation from, from the Roman Empire. Zechariah is, is looking for a national political deliverance. We know who this one of salvation is, don't we? He's Jesus. He's the Messiah. You see, in his first coming, he didn't deal with natural, national liberation, but a spiritual liberation. And we are still waiting for his second coming when he will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And his enemies will be under his feet. Conquered. You see, in verses 74 and 75, we see that this horn of salvation was raised to, 
what, what it was raised to do. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. We see it. Jesus first come and came to deal with our enemies so that we could serve God with fear and holiness and in righteousness. What stops us from serving God without fear? Isn't it our own sinfulness? You see, I'm convinced that every human being, they wake up and they're inside of a courtroom. And the persecutor is the enemy. It's the devil. And he's accusing us of all the bad things that we have done. You sure you love that guy? This is what he did last week. He's accusing us. And what do we do? We self-justify. But God, I did a lot of good things this week. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. But then the judge says, here's my son. He's going to take your place. He's going to die. He's going to take your penalty. And all the other opinions should go out of the window. The enemy's opinion of you should go out of the window. Everybody else's opinion of you should go out of the window. Even your opinion of yourself should go out of the window. You guess what the only opinion matters? It's the opinion of our Heavenly Father. What does he say about you? What does he declare over you? He declares, just like he declared to Jesus when Jesus was baptized. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you hear God saying that over you today? This is my daughter. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That I have forgiven them of all their sins. I have declared him righteous and holy in my sight because of their faith in Jesus. Christian, because of your faith in Jesus, that is who you are. You are righteous. You are holy. You are forgiven. You are free to serve the Lord without fear. That's the good news about being a Christian. We don't have to climb a ladder. We don't have to be better than each other. We all start with the record of Jesus. And what's Jesus' record? Righteous, holy. That's you, Christian. That's good news. No more self-justifying. God has raised up this horn of salvation to justify us to make us holy and righteous so that the enemy can no longer condemn you. The people around you can no longer shame you. It was God's plan all along to have this relationship with you that is filled with his grace and mercy. You see, God has always wanted us to be his God and, and us to be his people, to fill us with his grace and mercy. God has always wanted to be our God. This is, this is why he established these covenants with Abraham and David. He's a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. You see, in his grace, God chose Abraham's descendants to be his family, whereby he will offer salvation to all the families of the earth. You remember the story? He says, Abraham, you see those stars? That's how big I'm going to make your family. And through faith in Jesus, we are in the family of God. God made a promise to King David as well, that he would establish his family and his throne forever. Both covenants were unconditional, meaning that 
God was going to keep his end of the bargain no matter if Abraham or David was going to keep theirs. God would keep his word. Church, can you rejoice in a God who keeps his promises, who swears oaths and delivers them? He's faithful. Is there a specific promise that you are holding on to right now? That you are just clinging to for hope? You see, one of the problems that I'm holding to um, right now is when, when Jesus told his disciples on the, uh, on, on the, during the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't be anxious, right? Don't worry about what you should eat or what you should drink. What he says, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The Lord knows what you need, Christian. You shall not want when you look into the eyes of your Savior, guess what happens? Your cup runs over. And we know that his goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. What promise are you resting in today? No matter what you're going through, you have to know that you can keep going because God keeps his word. This is what Christmas is all about. God keeping his word, keeping his word that he spoke through the holy prophets. There are over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. God keeps his word church. Listen to one of them. This is Micah 5, 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, after the, though you are small among the clans of Judah, all of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, this horn of salvation is the one from ancient times. Micah is describing the one who will be the Messiah, the shepherd of God's people. This king is not like any other king. Even David himself called this king Lord in Psalms 110. Why? Because he is the eternal king. He is the king from before time, the eternal shepherd, the eternal God. Beloved, this is why Zechariah is rejoicing. Take a look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. This child will be the messenger of God. And what is his message? What is the message of John the Baptist? Is it not repent and believe? Repent means to turn away or to change your mind about being in charge of your life. To turn away from thinking that you can earn your way to God. Repentance is a conscious acknowledgement that you cannot save yourself. That you bring nothing to the table. Acknowledging that the greatest good that you can do is still insufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. Repentance is a turning away, but it's also a turning towards. It's a turning towards Jesus. It's a turning towards the mercies of God. It's turning towards him and surrendering your heart to him. Believe in the gospel. Believe that Jesus came to do what you cannot do for yourself. That is to live a perfect life and die as a substitute on the cross. Jesus did that, and he had to do that in order to save us. Do you believe that this morning? You see, if you're not a Christian here this morning, let me plead with you to repent, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from trying to earn your way to heaven, to trying to be good enough for God. It's not enough. Will you turn away from it? Will you turn towards Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who came, who came to visit you, to redeem you, to set you free. 
from, from yourself and from the very wrath of God. So you can experience joy that it goes far beyond this world. Will you do that? Will you, will you please not leave this place without turning from your sin and turning to Jesus Christ? Take a look at verse 78. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. You see, it's because of his mercy. Listen to me, every single one of us in this sanctuary deserves one thing. Death. Because of our rebellion against God. The Lord treats us way better than we deserve. And it's because of his tender mercy. He isn't the police officer who pulls you over and gives you a stern warning never to do it again. He isn't the, the, the coach that's screaming at you, telling you to get it together. He isn't Santa Claus. He isn't checking to see if you're naughty or nice. He is merciful. He's tender. He's kind to us. You see, what if we began every day of our lives? Instead of in a courtroom, we're actually in the arms of our tender, merciful God. What if we started our day like that? Just receiving his love and his kindness towards us. Just knowing that there's nothing that we can do to disappoint him. That he just loves us fresh every day. Just like when the sun comes up. We know it's going to come up. Is that your hope? Are you hoping in a God who, who, who is tender, who is kind to you, who loves you? It's because of his tender mercy that God called John to prepare the way for someone far greater. To prepare the way for his son, Jesus Christ, who, who was marked for death at his birth. It is the tender mercy that caused Jesus to be resurrected from the dead three days later. He is the sunrise from heaven that shines to give us light in our darkness. He is our hope. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is our peace. He doesn't just point us to the way of peace. He doesn't just come in and establish peace. He is peace himself. Knowing Jesus is knowing peace. He came to become your eternal peace. Through his spirit. Rejoice that you have the peace of being in a right relationship with God. The peace of having victory of every enemy in your life. Every enemy that seeks to destroy you. The peace of knowing the final outcome. Church, we have a champion. We have a horn that will not be put to shame. Just like the little shepherd boy from Israel who slain the giant, the gigantic giant Goliath. He was just a preview. He was just a commercial of a greater champion who faced a greater enemy and who brought forth a greater victory for his brothers and sisters. This champion tasted death so that we will never have to. Our champion has set us free from the fear of death and of dying. We can pass through death straight into glory. There's nothing that can stand in our way or separate us from this reality. And it's all because of the very tender mercies of God. Rejoice. Rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus, our great high priest, 
Jesus, you said, in this world, we will have tribulation. But don't lose heart, because you have overcome the world. You also said that, that you, are, you are going to give us your joy, so we can have it abundantly. God, I pray that you will make us a people of joy, that our joy will be contagious, that we rejoice in your hand at work in our lives, that we rejoice even in our silence, that we rejoice in your tender mercies and how you provided our salvation. We don't have to look anywhere else. Where else shall we go? You hold the very words of eternal life. God, you so loved us that you gave so that we can receive and so we can have eternal life. So we rejoice. Jesus, you are our hope. Pray that you be our hope today and every day of our lives. I pray that even in the weariness that we will sing your praises, that we will celebrate you. Jesus, you are truly our peace. You are truly our shepherd. We lack nothing. You lay us down in green pasture. You restore our soul. You conquered our enemies. You have set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And you have overflowed our cup. And that is why we rejoice. Because of who you are and what you have done. We want to know you. We want to experience you. Right now and every day of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.